0: matter what type of movie, doesn't matter where it's from, doesn't matter how long it is or short it is, I love them all. One of my favorite kinds of movies is called a buddy comedy. And buddy comedies are, are these movies often um, involving two central characters who either are friends— or frenemies, if you're unfamiliar with that term. Um, And over the course of the movie, they end up in hot water. They end up angry with one another. They end up going through some sort of adventure, and the comedy kind of ensues. One of the first buddy comedies my dad introduced me to when I was a kid was this movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. My dad loved Paul Newman and Robert Redford. We saw all of their movies, Butch Cassidy, The Sting, um, we saw all those movies, and so in uh, these movies, these buddy comedies, there become these iconic lines. If you've seen this movie, maybe you can help me with this blank right here. Uh, they say in the movie, "What's the matter with you?" And the other guy says, "I can't swim." And he says, "Why? Are you crazy? The fall will." There we go. You guys have seen this. I love the audience participation. For some of you who are a little bit younger, maybe recognize this one. These two guys dumb and dumber. Um, I will tell you, you probably will be dumb and dumber for watching it, but uh, it it was a great movie that I loved when I was a kid with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. One of the iconic scenes in that movie involves this exchange. Jim Carrey says, what do you think of a got chances of a guy like you and a girl like me? He does actually mix it up in the movie. Ending up together, and she says, one in a million, and he says, so you're telling me man, we have, we're just connected today. I love this. So the thing about these buddy movies and these friendships is they're a reminder to us that we go through hard times, that we go through adventures, that we go through crises, and when you go through those with someone else, it makes it so much better. I wonder for a second if you might pause and not consider your favorite buddy comedy, but consider your friends. If tonight, you were to end up in a, a really rough place, if the, the, the wheels fell off of your life, if you were in a terrible spot, who would you call at 2 a.m.? Do you have somebody that you could dial at 2 a.m.? They would answer the phone. They would come and show up. See, I think we all need 2 a.m. friends. Now, I think you need a friend who's better than Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. You know, I think maybe you need a friend who's, who's more reliable than the Sundance Kid and Bush casting the Sundance Kid, but we all need those kind of friends in our life. And if you have somebody like that, if somebody came to mind this morning, I want to encourage you, this is your first next step today. We're a little early for this, but I'm just going to tell you, thank that person today. Don't wait till you're standing in a room like this and there's a casket right here to talk about how much they mean to you, but thank them. And today we're going to talk about that kind of friendship because— In this series that we're in called A Living Hope in a Hostile World, Peter is like that friend to us. He's showing up in the lives of these people who are living in the first century in Asia Minor, and he's telling them what they need to hear. He's coming alongside them in a harsh and difficult situation. They're in the midst of a hostile moment, and he's bringing them hope. And that's what friends do. When you're in a rough spot, they show up, and they walk with you, and they give you the hope that you need. And so that's our big idea this morning. In hard times, we need both hope and honesty from our friends. In hard times, we need both hope and honesty from our friends. We don't just need, hey, everything's going to be great. It's all going to work out. You know, you don't just need somebody who's going to, you know, blow sunshine at you. But we also need people who aren't just going to tell us the honest, hard truth in a way that discourages us or depresses us, or or leaves us totally disenfranchised in the situation. We need somebody who's also going to lift us up. And that's what Peter does in this passage, and he is going to be a great friend to us this morning. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Peter, that's been our home for the last few weeks. If you're new to Cornerstone, we're taking the fall of 2022 to walk through this book near the back of the Bible called 1 Peter. There are 66 books in the Bible, so we could study any of them, but there are some elements of this book, this letter that Peter wrote to some followers of Jesus who are living in a hostile moment that that speaks relevantly to us and the hostile moments that we're living through, the personal crises and the cultural challenges. And what we're seeing from Peter is that he speaks both words of hope but also words of honesty. And today, I'll just be honest with you, today, next week, I was really bummed that Trey didn't want those messages. He was here with us last week. He left me the hard stuff. So this week is a hard message. Next week is a hard message. But that's why we're going to also share some hope, too. So if you have your Bibles open at 1 Peter, please stand. We're going to honor God's Word this morning. And uh, this is a bigger chunk, so uh, hopefully you enjoy standing for a little bit. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority— Or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. Household slaves. Submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ has suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, we pray that our hearts would be open and our ears would hear what it is that you want to speak to us today. And we pray that we would not just want a message that tickles our ears or makes us feel good, but that we would hunger and thirst for your truth. You know where we are today, both in terms of our body and in terms of our circumstance. And we pray that we would hear what it is that we need to hear. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you and that you would speak through your Holy Spirit through my feeble words. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through three reminders for hard times and hard jobs. And don't just think of a job as a job that you get paid for, like a vocation or employment. Sometimes a job you're not not paid for and you're not employed in. And Peter's going to speak to both. And here's the first thing he says. He says, it is God's will for us to do good in hard times. It's God's will for us to do good in hard times. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, Scott, how do I know God's will for my life? It's, it's often a difficult process. I've struggled with it myself. But sometimes God makes it really easy for us. He just tells us explicitly in his word. And in verse 15, he says, For it is God's will, boom, right there, that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Right there. First reminder. So, so Peter begins this section speaking to his friends, and he says, I urge you, as strangers and exiles. That's who they are. That first word, strangers, in Greek, means those who live in a place that is not their home. So these people who were living in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, that wasn't their natural home. They had been forced there because of persecution where they originally called home. And so they were, they were physical strangers. Now, most of you are not physical strangers here. This is your home. But you are spiritual strangers. This is not your eternal home. This is not the place you will always be. And in comparison to eternity, your life is quite short. So to you, you're strangers. He also says you're exiles. And exiles are people who had foreign citizenship and temporary dwelling. So these people are living in modern-day Turkey. They're not citizens of that area. They're citizens of somewhere else. And they're only temporarily dwelling there. That's you also. Most of you probably have American citizenship. You've got a passport. You could, you could leave this country, have all the privileges of being an American citizen, and then return. But you also, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have spiritual citizenship. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And friends, that means more because it's going to last longer. It means more because that kingdom will not end. And if you're in Revelation, you'll find lots of crazy things in there. The one thing you won't find is this nation. Because this nation's not eternal. The, the citizenship you have in the kingdom is eternal. And so you're in exile too, spiritually. And so what, what Peter is doing again and again, we've covered this every week in this series, is he's reminding you who you are before he tees you up for what you are to do. He says, this is your identity, now this is your activity. And he reminds them that they're strangers and exiles because... A world is watching and wondering as they watch these people go through persecution. Every day, you and I have an audience. Now, I have a little bit of an audience right now with you in the room and those of you watching online. This is my experience for about two and a half hours on Sundays. But you have 168 hours, minus the time you're sleeping, where you have an audience, where you have people who are watching you. And especially if you have a hard job Or if you're in the middle of a hard season, people are watching how you go through it even more than when things are going well. Because they expect you to praise God when things are going well. They expect you to praise God when you get the, the parking spot right in front of where you're going. They expect you to praise God when you get a raise. But when you get a diagnosis of cancer, when your child is not behaving but misbehaving, When you put your spouse in rehab. Or when your house goes into foreclosure. Or your 401k loses 30% in a year. then they begin to watch. And what do they wonder? They wonder things like this. Why should I trust you? How can you help me? And what difference does your faith make? And that's what's happening in 1 Peter 2. A world is watching these followers of Jesus who are strangers and exiles, and they're saying, hey, why should I trust you as a follower of Jesus? How can you help me with the problems I face, and what difference at all does your faith make in the midst of your struggle? And out of that context, Peter tells them to do four things. If you're taking notes, these are on your handout. First, he says, be holy. In verse 12, he says, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. We covered holiness a couple weeks ago. We said it's both purity and purpose. It's being set apart and being sacred. It isn't just thinking you're better than everybody else because you know that you're not. It's being who God says you are. And the image here is if you've ever seen a fight break out and somebody comes in and pulls the two parties apart, what you're doing when you are holy is you're literally pulling back your own sinful desire out of the fight. You're abstaining from that so that you will actually look different than the world around you. He says, be holy. Next, he says, be winsome. Be winsome. He says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when, not if, when, you're going to get slandered as a follower of Jesus. It's not an if, it's a when. When they slander you, They will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. That's why we're doing Four Prescott Month. Because we want to do good in such a way that points people to Jesus. We want to give a winsome witness as we serve people without any strings attached. He says, be winsome. So if you think the win is people hating you for a follower of, being a follower of Jesus, and if no one likes you, you're winning, friends, you need to read the math. The win is not you experiencing pushback. The win is, I may not agree with that person, but I see how they're living, and I have nothing to say about them. It's removing all of those excuses. Third, he says, submit to God first. And then every authority. I'm not putting these in order of priority. I'm putting them in order how they happen. He says in verse 13 submit to every human authority because of the Lord. So you don't submit to a president that you don't like. You don't submit to a governor that you didn't vote for. You don't submit to a boss that you don't respect because they are somehow worthy in their character. You submit to them because it's an expression of submitting to God. And if you can't submit to the authorities God has put in place, friend, you're going to struggle to submit to God. That's why as followers of Jesus, if we are the most rebellious people in the world, we're missing it. He says, submit to every human authority, including that godless Roman emperor. Whatever you thought of the current president— or the past president, they're not as bad as the Roman emperor back then. There were not any Christians burned at the stake at the White House for parties between 2016 and 2022. There were here. And Peter's saying, submit to that guy. Not because he's good, but because I am, and I'm the one who allowed him to be emperor. Like I said, hard message to give. And then finally... He says, Honor everyone. 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 Yes, that person you're thinking of, that person too. It doesn't say respect everyone, respect is earned, honor is given. I don't honor someone because I respect them. I honor them because of the role they hold and every single person by God was made in his image. You've never met a person who doesn't bear the image of God. You also never met a person who was not someone for whom Jesus died on the cross. So if only for those reasons and the fact that he called you to, honor them. Now let me be really clear. We are not as followers of Jesus, called to sin, but we are called to suffer. This was almost the big idea today. And this is a hard word. And there's lots, lots of pastors, preachers, televangelists, and Christian authors who would tell you different today because it makes them more money. But you cannot read First Peter and come to any other conclusion that as followers of Jesus, we are called to suffer. If 11 of the 12 disciples were killed brutally for their faith, if our Lord and Savior was crucified unjustly on the cross, why would we expect that somehow we would be immune from suffering? so what Peter is saying here is it's God's will for you to do good amidst hard times including suffering when I was a kid one of my favorite movies was not Dumb and Dumber it was Apollo 13 if you don't know the story, Tom Hanks Gary Sinise, Kevin Bacon, they play the three astronauts who were on the mission called Apollo 13 who in the middle the world that they were lost and one of the, the best characters in the movie is Ed Harris. He plays the mission control director in Houston, Texas, named Gene Krantz. And there's a famous scene as things got stressful in the plot when Gene Krantz stands up and says, failure is not an option. I'm not Ed Harris, but I would say something similar to you. In the midst of a world that is and amidst suffering that we are called to, friends, withdrawal is not an option. Say, Scott, I work for a hard boss. I'm in the middle of a hard time. I wish I could just leave the world and follow Jesus. I want to just pull my kids out of every public activity. I want to just disconnect from the entire world. Friends, if that's where God has called you, withdrawal is not option. How will they know unless someone speaks? How will they hear unless someone goes? It is God's will for us to do good amidst hard times. Second reminder is not going to be a surprise in light of that. Following Jesus is not going to be easy. Following Jesus, especially in our world, is not going to be easy. And we see this from what happens next in the text in And this is maybe one of the hardest parts of 1 Peter. He speaks very clearly about slaves. And he gives this hard word. He says, household servants, you are to submit to cruelty and evil. Submit to your masters with all reverence, not only the good and gentle ones, but to also the cruel you gotta understand there is a distinct difference between the kind of slavery that was happening in the first century and the kind of slavery that happened on this continent for hundreds of years. There's a big difference between slaves in that day and chattel slavery in our day. This was not race-based slavery. That's chattel slavery that marked this country for hundreds of years that we're still dealing with the backwash from. Slavery in that day was largely economic, and a, as a result of migration. Doesn't make it good? It wasn't like happy slavery. There is no happy slavery. It just was different that it wasn't as racist-based as ours was. But in that day, there were a number of people who'd come to be followers of Jesus who were slaves, because the gospel gave slaves dignity and self-worth in a world that did not. When slaves heard that they were made in the image of God, that Jesus had died for them, and that they had inherent dignity and self-worth, that Jesus loved them so much that he would die for them, it gave them a sense of self-worth that they had not found anywhere else, nor would they find everywhere else. So a large portion of the early church were household slaves. And as they began to hear statements like Galatians 5, where... Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Some of those slaves expected their spiritual freedom in Christ to naturally lead to physical freedom too. And they began to wonder, should we rebel? Should we try to break free? Should we run away? And there are some instances in the New Testament where where a runaway slave is reintroduced to a master, not as a a slave anymore, but as a free man. That's the book of Philemon in your Bible. Philemon runs away. He meets Paul. Paul writes to his master, Onesimus, and says, Treat your slave not now as a runaway, but as a brother. But what we see in this passage is that Peter is not committed to overturning slavery. He's trying to help those slaves live within it, even with harsh masters. The word harsh in your text here is the Greek word for bent. And it's the root of our word scoliosis. If you know anybody who's ever had scoliosis, I have a very small form of scoliosis where my back is very, very small curve. And he says, some of your masters are literally bent. They're harsh. Something is wrong in them. But when you suffer under their treatment unjustly, it will bring favor with God. When you follow under them, even a poor leader, you can honor God. Adrian Rogers was a pastor I remember hearing on the radio when I was growing up as a kid, and here's what he said about this passage. He said, you cannot be over the things God wants you to be over until you learn to be under those things God has set over you. That's far more, you know, poetic than I would say it. Here's how I would translate that statement from Adrian Rogers followers don't go on to become great leaders. I once was a really bad follower. When I was in my early 20s, I was a really bad follower. I judged and um, privately slandered people who oversaw me because I thought they were just missing it. And then I stepped into the role they had vacated And I said, hmm, things look different from up here. (laughs) And I began to learn, once I was in that role, the wins and the challenges they had been facing. And it did two things. It humbled me. And it gave me empathy for them. The thing is, if you're a follower right now, one day you're going to be a leader. And if you don't learn the practices and the character as a follower now, you won't magically flip a switch when you become a leader you can't be under someone well then one day you won't be over someone else well i went to try to understand this passage from somebody who didn't share my skin color because i have to imagine that if you're watching this or listening and and you're black this might be a struggle because of your ancestors and slavery and so i went to the words of a black pastor i respect hb charles jr here's what he says he says we are to submit to those who are morally crooked But we must not obey any command to sin. But the character of the master must not be an excuse to disobey. He said, you have options. The recipients of this letter of 1 Peter did not. So when you read this text and you're like, Scott, I have a bad boss. No, you have options. They didn't. You can quit and work somewhere else. Slaves can't do that. You can report illegal, immoral, and unethical behavior. So if your boss is out of line, you can put your neck out and report them. Now, could you lose your job over it? Yes. Could you leave that job and struggle to find a new one? Yes. But you do not have to sin and keep that job. Charles continues, it is not God's will for you to work there and have a rebellious attitude towards those in authority. And that's the heart behind all of that. Do not blame your bad boss for your sin. Do not blame your hard job for your sin. And friends, sin is not just actions, it's also attitudes too. Finally, Peter says, remember what Jesus did and who we told you, Peter's doing this again and again. He's not going to let his readers move into insecurity. He's going to tell them, hey, this is who you are, therefore, this is what you are to do. Or this is what God has done, therefore, this is what you are to do. When I was a kid, uh, uh, a craze came back into America that started in the early 20th century. In the early 1900s, a pastor named named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. And in, in His Steps, sheldon challenged his entire church to ask himself a question what would jesus do and so over a hundred years ago that 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 word that question captured the mind of our country and it led to incredible actions of goodwill and service then in the 90s when everything became a christian product to buy or sell these came out and everybody was wearing them everybody was talking about them I was a teenager at this time, and I think I wore three or four of these. Apparently I need to ask the question a lot. But as often as I asked the question, you know what answer I never heard? Suffer well. I heard lots of answers to that question, but I never heard anybody talk about suffering. Here's the thing. If you live to make it to tomorrow... Or next week or next month or next year or next decade you are going to suffer it is an in- inevitable part of the human experience and what would jesus do in that season he would suffer well because he did at the end of second peter chapter two we see peter say that jesus is the standard Verse 21, For you were called to this, suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. There's the words of Charles Sheldon in his steps. What we see with Jesus is he didn't just suffer well, he suffered beautifully because the crucifixion was the most unjust and wicked event in history. We live in a culture where people are passionate about injustice today. They're passionate about the fact that there are more slaves alive on planet Earth today than at any point in human history. People are offended and they're moving to take arms or moving to action and moving to protest over injustice. Well, there is no injustice in the history of this world greater than the crucifixion of Jesus. There has never been a perfect person except for one, Jesus. And he was crucified and tried unjustly and unfairly. And yet, It was that unjust act that rescued and healed all of you. It was that injustice that led to your freedom. And so, what Jesus does is he comes not only as our Savior, but as our example. But some of us want one of these and not the other. Some of us want Jesus to be our Savior and we praise Him as our Savior, and we accept Him as our Savior, we just minimize Him as our example. So if He's our example, that means we are to live as He lives. Who's your example? Who do you model your response, your actions, your words after? If there's anyone above Jesus, somebody has too high a height. Some of us, we love Jesus as our example. We love what he says and the words that he teaches. We just forget that he wasn't a good teacher. He was our Savior and our Lord. He died on the cross for our sins. And we are to embrace Jesus as both, not just one or the other. I learned this week that the the Greek word here, this translated example, is the word hypogrammon. And it's it's literally something like this. This is a, a sketch over here that was done by Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts. And over here, someone's trying to copy that sketch. That's literally what Jesus was. He was the hypogramon. He was the work of a great artist that students are called to mimic, recreate, and be an example of themselves. Jesus. Didn't just live a life for us to go, man, what a life, Jesus. No, he lived a life that we are to mimic, that we are to follow, that we are to walk in. You read our stuff that Jesus did? He's calling you to do the same. He's calling you to respond in the same way. He suffered well, and he's calling you to suffer well too. This text tells us that Jesus did not sin, he did not deceive. He did not insult, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to a just God. And the passage ends by reminding us that we're to do the same because we're like sheep going astray. A few months ago at the beginning of this year, we did a series on the I Am statements of Jesus. And one of the hardest ones was the one where I talked about the fact that we are all sheep. I know it was hard, because the room got quiet as if all of us were awkwardly trying not to breathe and hoping that no one, including me, would look at us. You know, sheep has become like a, uh, an insult in our culture. Oh, you're just a sheep. And according to Scripture, you can't follow Jesus if you don't embrace your identity as sheep. And I found a video recently, again, that embodies what I think this looks like. So let's, uh, let's run that video. All of our autobiography <laughs> that's your story, that's my story Jesus is a great shepherd and we're sheep and like sheep we go astray and most of us he's pulled us out of the ditch only for us to fall back in it he's set us free and then we quickly go back to our own way again He's shown us divine wisdom and grace and mercy. And we thank Him for that, and we go, but I've got it from here. And I just want to encourage you, do you trust in yourself, or do you entrust yourself to God? Because that's the only way you make it through suffering well. If you trust in yourself, you will not suffer well. But if you entrust yourself to the one who has suffered in a way that drew the whole world to himself, then you can walk through suffering. You can walk through hard times. You can move through the most challenging things that life can throw at you. What does entrust mean? Entrust means to put something in someone's care or protection. When you entrust yourself to God, you're saying, God, I put my life... Myself in your care and your protection, and I trust you that you're a good shepherd, you can take care of me. And he's already proven that. Peter quotes the words of, of Isaiah here when he says it's by his wounds that you are healed. See, wh- what Jesus did on that tree, as Peter describes it, is the source of our hope. And that's why when we're in hard times, we need both hope and we need honesty from our friends. So let me give you some next steps this morning before we come to our time of communion. Number one, if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to refuse to withdraw from the place God has called you despite its difficulty. That doesn't mean that God might open the door at some point for you to leave because you can't stay without sinning. It doesn't mean that every difficult place He calls you is your eternal place. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that just because it's hard, therefore God can't, can't have called you to it. doesn't mean that just because there's hostility or difficulty or suffering, can't be God. If God's called you there, no matter how difficult it is, until He calls you somewhere else, refuse to withdraw. Two, this week, I want you to read, wrestle through, and discuss this passage with a friend or your community group this week. You know you know that we're like the outliers in church history. Most followers of Jesus for most of church history have not had a Bible bound in beautiful leather for them to read on their own. The Bible was not meant to be read by ourselves just in our quiet times. It was meant to be read in community. And so if you're like, Scott, man, this is a hard text. I'm not sure I agree. Then open up the book and wrestle with it yourself. Get with your community group or friend and read this passage and say, well, what does it mean? And what's my next step? Don't just let me do all the hard work. You dig in. And if you think I got it wrong, let me know. This is a hard text. And it deserves to be wrestled with. And just because you wrestle with it and just because you struggle with it doesn't mean that it's untrue. Having questions is not the same as doubting God. Wrestle those questions through with God and find yourself stepping into deeper faith. And then finally, number three embrace Jesus as your Savior and your example. He's both. He's not just one, he's both. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for speaking clearly through my feeble words this morning. And I pray that the place where this word has landed in hearts would be like a seed that is planted, that grows up to produce great fruit. I pray that we would tend the soil of our hearts as we wrestle through this passage and the places where you're calling us to obey, even where it's difficult. I pray that you give us the grace to trust and follow you.